Let's open our Bibles again to Galatians 6.14, to the verse that we began with earlier today, and remind ourselves of what ought to be our glory and how it ought to affect our lives. We should go through life with the cross before us and the world behind us. Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. What a difference putting the Lord Jesus Christ first should make in your life. The world should mean nothing to you because it's crucified, because it is the enemy of Jesus Christ, and the world has no use for you if you live in light of the cross, because you're crucified unto it. What a difference the cross of Christ makes. We are looking at the agony of the cross, and we have considered the physical aspects, and we have considered the non-physical or emotional or personal aspects. There are then spiritual aspects of the cross. Most Christians miss Satan's devilish attack against the Lord Jesus Christ in an invisible spiritual conflict. When the Bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places, how much more the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 12 tells us that as soon as Jesus was born, it was Satan that motivated Herod to try to kill the Lord Jesus Christ as a child. When Jesus Christ was baptized and was in the wilderness, it was the devil that came and tempted him. And it says at the end of that temptation that he left him For a while. But here on the cross, he would have faced the greatest onslaught of the devil. The devil's behind princes and kings and governments of this world. Daniel chapter 10 tells us that. And he was after the Lord Jesus Christ as well. We do not respect Satan sufficiently when the Lord looses him. And how quickly he can make a person sin, whether it's Adam in the garden or David numbering Israel or other occurrences like that. Satan's devils are the most unified and efficient hostile force in the universe. Jesus understood and knew full well that Satan's kingdom was not divided when he had cause to argue with the Jews as to by what power he was casting devils out. Animosity and conflict between Jesus and Satan was prophesied very early on in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, when the seed of the woman and the serpent and his seed would be a great animosity, enmity, and warfare against each other. Recall the subtle and the arrogant and the malicious attempts by Satan to get Jesus to deny God, disobey the word of God, and do foolish things in the wilderness when he was tempted. Satan only left him for a season. Jesus knew the conflict with Satan was coming and told his apostles about it in John chapter 14 and verse 30. In that place, Jesus said, Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. For the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Satan was coming after the Lord Jesus Christ, though there was no sins in the Lord Jesus Christ for Satan to get a hold of. If Satan is able to throw fiery darts at us, and we are warned about those fiery darts in Ephesians chapter 6 
and we are to hold up the shield of faith and quench them, how much more the Son of God had those fiery darts thrown at Him. It was time for Satan to be cast out, and do you think he was going to be happy with that change? As he was cast out of heaven by the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross, Satan was at the Last Supper. The Bible tells us he was there. The Bible tells us that he entered into Judas Iscariot, and Judas Iscariot left, and Jesus said, What thou doest, do quickly. And he left under the impulses of the devil to go and gather the mob together that caught the Lord Jesus and captured him in the Garden of Gethsemane. The hour of the power of darkness is a foreboding description from Jesus in Luke chapter 22 and verse 53. Luke 22 and verse 53, Jesus said, When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. So we are considering the physical agony of the cross, the non-physical, emotional or personal agony of the cross, and right now, the spiritual conflict that is out of sight and operates at a different level, but you all should know about it, because there are times when I can look at your faces and tell that you are suffering a spiritual conflict that has pulled you down from your higher position that I would have seen you at at other times. You've had fiery darts thrown at you. You haven't quenched them all. You are doubting. You are discouraged. You are tired. You are in the flesh. You are carnally minded. You're cast down. Hopefully not destroyed. The Lord Jesus Christ wasn't destroyed, but He was very sorrowful and very heavy as this attack took place on Him. Even there at the Last Supper, Satan was in the room of the Last Supper. What a... Prince we had, the Prince of Glory. Psalm 89 puts it, I'll lay help upon one that is mighty. And the Lord Jesus Christ indeed was mighty. Satan is filled with malicious hatred for the Lord Jesus Christ regardless of his known future. As elect angels cannot believe salvation for men, Satan cannot stand salvation by a man. The man Christ Jesus undid all the work of Satan in the Garden of Eden to save all the elect children of God. He knew that Jesus Christ was manifested to destroy him and his works. In Psalm 22, which you had read to you this morning, Deliver my darling from the power of the dog, singular. There was a ravening and a roaring lion in that place in the next verse in Psalm 22, which is the devil himself against the Lord Jesus Christ. An angel came and strengthened him in the garden of Gethsemane. Devils have no pity when you think of the spiritual agony of the cross of Calvary. They did not consider him in a considerate way. They did not comfort him. They tortured him instead. If they could just get the Lord Jesus Christ to curse God. Did Mrs. Job try to do that to Mr. Job? In Job chapter 2, if they could just get him to beg for mercy. If they could just get him to quit. Do they try to get you to quit sometimes? Does everyone in here know a little tiny bit about the conflict with the devil and the spiritual conflict that we go through? Jesus faced a tsunami of it. The bulls of Bashan in that crowd that was around him, devil-possessed as they were, 
And then the devils themselves, if they could just get him to be afraid, if they could just get him to ask for help, if they could just get him to use his strength to deliver himself, if they could just get him to violate a scriptural promise, what if he would have reviled once? Then he wouldn't have been a lamb. What if he would have reviled just once? If they could just get him to retaliate against his persecutors, to ask them for help, to speak against the elect that were causing this, because it was for your sins and for my sins. But the Lord Jesus Christ bore up against all those fiery darts. He quenched them by faith, and He saw His seed, and He was happy to hang on the cross and go to death for us. Praise His glorious name. That is the spiritual conflict of the cross that is often overlooked. I want you to remember, and it's something the Lord's been kind to us, to remind us and show us that there are physical aspects of the cross. There are non-physical or emotional and personal aspects. There is a spiritual conflict. And now I come to the fourth one, which we put last because it's worse. And that is the divine, the divine consequences. Divine consequences. That is his separation from God his Father when he was hanging on the cross. The most horrific suffering of all was God's rejection of Jesus Christ for our many sins. When I see some of you that have lost your fellowship with God, when I see me in the mirror and know when I have lost or my fellowship with God is interrupted, it is a painful consequence. It is a painful consequence. It is miserable. It reduces our joy in everything. We are frustrated. We are guilty. We, nothing wins. Nothing makes us happy. We're miserable because we've lost our fellowship with God. But our fellowship with God that we've lost is only a smidgen, is only a sampling of what Jesus Christ had with God, and He had never experienced it before. He had always done those things that pleased His Father. He had God thundering from heaven at His baptism. And at other times, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He had a perfect relationship with His Father. When He went and prayed, His prayers were heard, and He communed with His Father like no other. This was ripped away from Him, so that Psalm 22 and Matthew and the other Gospel accounts ascribe to Him, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? He had not known that before. He was stripped of fellowship with God. We are told these things and we believe them. He was God in the flesh. But His deity and His humanity were not so mingled that they couldn't be separated. He could still be thirsty on the cross in His human nature. And in that human nature, His human spirit lost its fellowship with God, but was upheld sufficiently that He still had faith because of the impeccability of Jesus Christ. He could not sin. But He lost the fellowship and the joy. His death is so much different than a martyr's death. Those martyrs that we had given to us for a year, when they died, they were under the full influence of the Holy Ghost, encouraging them and filling them with joy and peace and hope. His was by pure faith, having lost His fellowship with His Father. This is our Savior. This is our Lord. We don't even know hardly how to describe it, except to say that the best we have ever had with in walking in fellowship with God, and the greatest joy and peace that we've ever had in the Holy Ghost. 
he had at all times far greater than that, and it was all ripped away when he most could have used it. But by faith, he obeyed and humbled himself to the death of the cross and went in confidence that when I lay down my life and I commend my spirit to my Father, He will embrace it again because I will have given Him what He wants me to give Him, the death of my body. I, I cannot explain it to you beyond what to tell you what the Bible says about it. God forsook Him. It pleased the Lord to bruise Him. It was no longer pleasing the Lord to thunder from heaven in praising Jesus and identifying Him as His Son, but it was pleasing the Lord to bruise Him. What a change in His relationship with God as far as fellowship. He was still the Son of God. He was still impeccable. He could still be tempted and would not sin. But He had lost His fellowship and joy and peace and God's approval upon everything that he did. I always do those things that please my Father, was his testimony in life. Jesus had a human spirit that was subject to our temptations, yet without sin. Never forget that. You know, just a couple of weeks ago when I was preaching to you from 1 Peter chapter 3, where it says, by which he also went and preached to the spirits in prison, Jesus had a human spirit. And that human spirit could become very sorrowful. The Word of God did not become very sorrowful. The Word of God, His divine nature, was not sorrowful and heavy, even unto death. That was His human spirit, His human soul. And that is what went to heaven at the moment He died. Jesus did not descend into hell. His body was put in the grave, which is referred to as hell in Psalm 16 and Acts 2 and Acts 13. But His spirit went straight to heaven to be with the thief and for them both to be ready for Stephen when he arrived there. And they saw Lazarus the beggar there, and they saw Abraham, but he went in his spirit. But the point I'm making is he had a human spirit. And we get... All the days of the afflicted are evil. Have you ever had one of those events? Where everything becomes evil and terrible and miserable and nothing can make you happy? Well, praise God for the Lord Jesus Christ. When he had the joy and peace taken away from him by faith, he saw his seed. And Hebrews 5 says, Even though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by humbling himself to the death of the cross. Remember clearly that no man has ever had a relationship with God like Jesus did. And it pleased the Father to bruise him forsake him, and cover the earth with darkness. His anguished cries for his father's presence and help are terrible, if you'll stop and think about them. Never had there been a prayer like that come from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ to God his Father. How many times have we had to pray like, well, I hope that we pray like David does. How many times in the Psalms does David say, have you cast me off forever? When wilt thou return? How many times? Over and over, David says those things, but Jesus had never known them. Many martyrs died more painful deaths by slow fire, but with joy and singing from God's presence with them. He became sin for us. Our iniquities were put on Him by imputation. He suffered the things that He did in great quantity and quality, though for a limited period of time there on the cross. No man can quite imagine the spiritual pain and suffering 
of that part of the crucifixion. And I hope we always remember all four. The physical, the non-physical, which I'm calling psychological, emotional, or personal. And then the spiritual conflict with the devil and his angels. And then the divine consequences of God forsaking him on the cross. As we mount up these four steps from the physical to the divine consequences, he suffered a death that no one can compare to. We can't compare any love that's ever been shown toward us. But this is the love of Christ. He went through the loss of separation with His Father to gain fellowship for us with His Father forever and ever and ever and ever. And it was because of our sins He lost that fellowship with His Father. Oh, the people of the cross... Is it important to understand the people of the cross? His elect that He chose in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. Jesus said He laid down His life for His sheep. Do you want to prove that you're one of the sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ? In John 10.26, Jesus said, But ye believe not, because ye are not of My sheep. As I said unto you, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. If you want to know that you're one of the sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ, then believe on Him. You don't believe to become a sheep. You believe because you are a sheep. But when you believe, it shows that God gave you to Jesus Christ and He laid down His life for you. Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it in Ephesians 5.25. The Father's will for Jesus Christ was to not lose a single one of those that the Father had given Him in John chapter 6. He will say to many in that day, I never knew you. But I want you to think about something right now. He will say to many in the great day of judgment, I never knew you. He knew of them. But He never knew them affectionately. He never knew them intimately. He never knew them personally. He never loved them to have died for them. Because He saw His seed. According to Isaiah chapter 53, He saw His seed. He did know them. He did love them. He had come to die for them. He wouldn't lose a single one of them. What a difference when we consider the people of the cross. The love of God and His redemptive sacrifice is sure to all the people of God. What shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord? Because God said earlier in that chapter in verse 32, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not also with Him freely give us all things? And those all things are not a bigger house or a better car. Those all things are the foreknowledge, justification, calling, regeneration, adoption, and glorification of the children of God that are listed there in the context. What a triumph. Brethren, look at Colossians chapter 2. The dog is going after the darling on the cross. Colossians chapter 2. If you think the word darling is too effeminate for you, wait till you meet the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. Tell Him that you think the word darling's too effeminate. When you see the Lord of glory and you fall at His feet as dead, the darling on the cross was the soul of the Lord Jesus Christ under attack by the dog, the devil, and by the ravening and roaring lion. But I want to tell you, while the devil, in his his ignorance, rebellion, and foolishness, 
To whatever degree, the Bible doesn't tell us. But why would he even wage the war if he didn't think there was some possibility of success? And while Jesus Christ is hanging there on the cross and about to expire under the curse and penalty of our sins, what did Jesus Christ do to the devil according to this text? Colossians 2.15 And having spoiled principalities and powers... Who are the principalities and powers? The devil and his angels. He spoiled them. How did he spoil them? He raided their palace and took something out of their palace. Can, do, do, do you know what it is that he took? Was it gold? Was it silver? It was you. It was me. He spoiled principalities and powers. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are secure. And who are his goods? Us. Following the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air. But Jesus said when a stronger man comes along, he is able to raid that palace and spoil it. And so we have, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. This man that was cursed under sin, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Do you know where the devil couldn't go anymore? Where Jesus went. Are, Are you with me? When Jesus went, the devil could no longer come because heaven isn't big enough for both of them. He was cast out at Jesus Christ being lifted up. Jesus Christ dying on the cross and His Spirit going into heaven, there was now one highest creature that was there, that was the man Christ Jesus in in combined union with God the Word that now ruled the universe. All angels, principalities, powers, might, throne, dominion, whether their names in this world or in the world to come, were all subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. He spoiled principalities and powers. I like to think of it as Satan thinking that he's about to gain the victory. And then he hears those words, Father, into thy hands I commend my... Oh no! Now Jesus is going to be sitting at the right hand of God, coming in the clouds of heaven, in power and great glory, and he's going to cast me into the lake of fire. He did know some of that, because some of it he declared. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And the greatest triumph was 72 hours later when he tore the bars asunder of death and showed that he had vanquished death and could now mock the grave in death. And the body, soul, spirit, mind, heart, the whole combined person of Jesus of Nazareth was now in heaven, ruling at the right hand of God. Oh, that's the triumph. Oh, there was power at the cross. Was there power? Did you hear read to you a few minutes ago that Pilate's wife came to him in the middle of that trial and said, I have had a bad dream last night. Don't touch this just man. Leave this just man alone. What in the world happened to her? Oh, the power of the cross. For three hours there was darkness as he hung on it from 12 noon to 3 in the afternoon. There was darkness that covered the earth. What power! We love to sing, don't we? Shouldn't the sun hide its glories when Christ the mighty maker died? That little light bulb that he put in the sky dimmed its light for the Lord of glory. 
by whatever means God chose, and I don't care, I believe it. The Bible said it, settles it, and that the Bible says it, and that settles it for me. And I hope that you and me, we would go to death if somebody asked us to deny that there was darkness over the face of the earth during those three hours. Would we, would we be willing to settle on the Word of God for that? Though we can't explain it, I don't care if it was a cloud or if the sun turned off for three hours. You say, well, we would have quickly approached absolute, I don't care if we would approached absolute zero or not. I don't care how cool it got under that centurion's armor. All I know is the Bible says it and I believe it and I will bet my life in this world and my life in the next world on every word of this book because I have never seen anything else that can even compare to it. And I've never seen anyone else live a functional, happy life without following this book. The greatest men that have accomplished things and lived happy and fulfilled lives follow the Bible and we shall follow it. Lord, hear us. In our faith, though it be weaker than your sons, we have not seen nor have we felt the power of God with us like you showed him, but we do believe. And we believe everything you tell us about him. A great earthquake tore rocks. When was the last time you saw rocks torn? I've seen rocks smashed. I've seen rocks split. Torn. I like the terminology of the word. You say, do you believe every word like I believe every word just like that. It's no problem for the Lord. Tore rocks and opened graves for many saints to arise. The temple veil. That if you were to go, if you go home and just type in Temple Vale in a Google search box and, he, and learn about that thing and find out how many horses that it took to pull that thing up into space, place because it was so large. It was, it was four inches thick tapestry. Has anyone here ever carried a tapestry? It's a pretty substantial piece of cloth. But when you get one that is four inches thick and 60 feet high and 20 feet wide, that is an unbelievable piece of furniture. I want to call it furniture because it sounds heavier than a a drape from top to bottom. And we, every child in here, every man, every woman can go running boldly straight into our Father. He has adopted us as His children in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. These events were so powerful that the centurion and those that were standing there with him watching, they... They looked, saw, heard all that was taking place. Truly, this was the Son of God. Do you believe that? We weren't there to see or feel the earthquake. We did not feel. Can you imagine? Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And the whole place shakes. Men run from Jerusalem. The veil's been torn from top to bottom. The cemeteries are all busting up. The ground's heaving up and down. They're opening up. Truly, this was the Son of God. Yes, we believe that. Lord, we believe that Jesus of Nazareth, your only begotten Son, is truly the Son of God, the Lord and Savior of your people. And we look forward to Him coming for us soon. It was a substitutionary death of the just for the unjust. It was a representative death of the second Adam. By the obedience of one, many shall be made righteous. On that cross, we had the second Adam undo everything the first Adam did against us. Praise 
the glorious name of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ was rich, but Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, this is the poverty of the cross. We have 50 or 60 features and traits of the cross. I'm just giving you a few. The Apostle Paul said that the Lord Jesus Christ who is rich became poor, that through His poverty ye might become rich. Do you know what we're rich as? The sons of God. Do you know what we own? The universe. Do you know who we're joint heirs with? The Lord Jesus Christ. It can't get any better than that. Oh, the pleasure of the cross. It pleased the Lord to bruise Him. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 10, it says it pleased the Lord to bruise Him, but that's not all that it says. It also says, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. What was the pleasure of the Lord? To redeem His people. And it prospered in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. In one verse, we have pleasure mentioned twice. And then I can tell you that there are pleasures forevermore at the right hand of God for the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you know what one of His greatest pleasures is? Is to present you and me to His Father as His redeemed people for the family of God that is going to enjoy the family reunion of heaven forever and ever and ever, worshiping God and the Lamb. Oh, He made peace by the blood of His cross. Do you remember Haggai, my, my favorite, one of, I better be careful, one of my favorite prophecies of the Old Testament, Haggai chapter 2, where they were all moaning and groaning because the foundation that they had pegged out with stakes and strings looked so small for the second temple compared to Solomon's. And God said, forget the silver and the gold. I own it all anyway. You don't need all that Solomon had to make me happy. Just go ahead and build this house because this latter house is going to have more glory than the former house. Do you know why? Because the desire of all nations is coming to the second house. And that second house hasn't existed in 1944 years when Zerubbabel's temple was torn down and razed to the ground, just like Jesus prophesied that it would be. But do you know what Jesus said would be about the glory of that second house? In this place will I make peace. How did He make peace? Jesus Christ dying on the cross, putting away our sins, veil torn, we have free access to God. He is the Prince of Peace. He's made peace between us and our Father. Oh, what a pardon! He gave us. You know, our presidents may pardon criminals, but God can't do that. He can't pardon the guilty or the wicked. So He sent Jesus Christ to die in their place, and thus the pardon of the cross. Brethren, you heard it just recently. Is there justification at the cross? Is there reconciliation? We call these the facets of salvation. Is there acceptance? Is there propitiation? Is there redemption? Is there being washed? Is there sanctification? Is there adoption? Was there an atonement? Amen. All of it happened at the cross because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Was it sufficient? Jesus Christ, was it sufficient? He shall see of the travail of His soul and shall be satisfied. God the Father saw the travail of Jesus Christ's soul and was satisfied that it was a sufficient sacrifice in our place that we would not have to suffer that death or that torment or that bruising ourselves, but that we would be given eternal life. It was sufficient. It was sufficient to open up graves. It was sufficient 
to cause residual resurrection in addition to his own. It was sufficient to lift the bondage of corruption off the universe. Jesus bought this universe out of its prison. It was in the bondage of corruption, suffering pain and travail unto this very day. But Jesus bought it out of that so that we can have a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness and no law of entropy. It's on the way. It's just around the corner by the power of the cross and by the sufficiency of the cross. And oh, there's an offense at the cross. It's a stumbling block and a rock of offense to the Jews. Let it never be an offense to us. We should never be ashamed to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. Don't pick other topics to share with others. If there's a moment for you to share Jesus Christ dying on the cross, Because that is the greatest event and the greatest transaction and we ought not to be offended by it. Many were offended in the Lord Jesus Christ because He did not fit the idea of their fantasy about a Jewish hero like David that would deliver them from Rome and restore their national preeminence. He did something far better than that. Who cares who's in charge? We want to be in the kingdom of heaven. We want eternal life. We want our sins paid for. We want death vanquished. We want sin, guilt, and condemnation destroyed. And He did that. Praise His glorious name. What a testimony. Pilate testified there was no fault in him deserving death. One of the thieves testified that he was not worthy of death. The centurion testified he was the Son of God. And the resurrection of the dead sure testified that Jesus Christ had power of life and death. Oh, brethren, it's the measure for our faith. How happy are you? And how much does the cross of Christ please you? Some pervert his death, the perversion of the cross, by saying it was a general ransom and only made salvation possible for people to save themselves. Some pervert his death by saying it was a martyr's death for a good and holy example. Some pervert his death by saying it merely makes salvation possible by church sacraments. Their superstition about it, rather than rightly define and exalt the cross and its accomplishments, men invent heresies called the superstitions of the cross. The Roman Catholics leave them on it, don't they? What is a crucifix? But Jesus still on the cross, not in the form of which He died. They put Him on the top of their steeples. They put a cross on the top. And they go around doing this all the time. So what? What is this? What does it mean? Learn the doctrine of the cross. Learn the person of the cross. Learn the results of the cross. Learn the victory of the cross. Live in light of the cross. And take up your own cross. Don't go around making Hindu signs over your forehead. That's where it comes from. Go type in a few words like C-H-A-K-A and forehead and between the eyes and learn a little bit about the sign of the cross. Where it came from. The Hindus were doing it long before the Catholics started it. What a mess. We don't need any crosses in here. You don't need them on your keychain. You don't need them around your neck. You need the Word of God. And you need the cross in your heart and in your mind. The cross before me, the world behind me. I'll live my life. You don't need superstitious graven images like that. That's what the Catholics use and abuse. Lord help us. They believe their priests can call Jesus down on their altars for a bloodless sacrifice again. We deny. There are enemies of the cross. The Muslims have no use for Jesus, for the greatest prophet was Muhammad. 
The Mormons have no use for Jesus. He's simply a brother, or he is Lucifer. Go dig a little deeper into their doctrine. They want you to think that they're Christians, but they are not Christians. The Hindus have no place for Jesus. There are lots of enemies. Let's make sure that we're not enemies. Do you know what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3? That the enemies of the cross are those that mind earthly things that are belly worshipers. Do you know what makes you a belly worshiper? When the things you wear and the cars you drive and the house you live in and the food you put in the hole is more important to you than the Lord Jesus Christ. Job said the words of your mouth are more important to me than my daily food. We become the enemies of Christ when we don't keep Him first. Oh Lord, help us not to be the enemies of the Lord Jesus. In Matthew chapter 22, the Lord Jesus Christ referred to those that when they were invited to the marriage supper of the gospel feast of knowing about Jesus Christ, they made light of it. They made light of it. Their business was more important to them. Don't let your business, your job, your career, your education, your family, your children, your wife, your spouse, don't let any of that become more important to you than the Lord Jesus Christ. It is all going to compete to be more important because your flesh wants it to be more important. The devil wants it to be more important. And so does the world. But the world is the enemy of God and so is your flesh and the devil. Lord, help us to keep your cross where it belongs. You are bought with the price, brethren. The price of the cross. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Because you've been bought. You've been created to be His, and you've been bought to be His. We are twice His. Bond slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ to do anything that He asks us to do. Oh, what a guarantee. What promises are attached to the cross. What a challenge. Jesus went to the cross and He calls and asks us to take up our cross daily to follow Him. What an example He gave us. He was reviled, but He didn't revile again. Do you know where that came from? That came from 1 Peter chapter 2, the last four verses. Do you know what it's there for? To remind us that on the job, when we are threatened, when we are abused, when we suffer wrongfully on the job, we should handle it cheerfully and continue to obey and serve that Master as well as we are able because Jesus did that at His crucifixion. And that's why it's there. The love of Christ should constrain you. You should be in a straitjacket for service toward Him because of what He has done for you. Heaven is filled with the praises of the Lamb of God. The first choir that bursts into praise in Revelation 5 are the four and twenty elders and the four beasts representing the church. That's you and me. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain and hath redeemed us to God by His blood. Then the angels, an innumerable company of angels, cry out that worthy is the Lamb that was slain. He didn't shed His blood for them, but they know that He came to earth and died doing the will of His Father in heaven. Then the whole creation takes up the praise of the Lamb. And oh, brethren, there's a day coming in which the cross is going to be declared as the great difference between you and others. Your name is going to be found in the book of life. What's the rest of the title of that book? The book of life of the Lamb slain. The book of life of the Lamb slain. The cross will be brought up again. And whosoever was not written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The cross is coming up again. 
you will appreciate the cross in that day. But if we will appreciate it now and serve under it and take up our own crosses daily, it is the evidence that our names are in that Lamb's book of life. And brethren, we come to a supper now, which is the way that He's chosen for us to remember His cross until He comes for us. There are three that bear witness in earth. The Spirit of God in the Bible and preaching. The water, 1 John 5, 6-8. There are three that bear witness in earth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit, through preaching the Word of God. The water, which is baptism. And the blood, which is the Lord's Supper. So simple, so glorious. Heaven quivers with the joy at seeing a congregation whose hearts are right observing the Lord's Supper. The Bible tells me that the angels in heaven rejoice over a single sinner that repents. How about a whole church that comes together to take the Lord's Supper out of love for their Savior? The Prince of Glory wants to be remembered this way. May the Lord bless us to remember Him as He has chosen.